All right. If you, yeah, thank you. Fantastic. We're uh, we're starting Nativity. our Nativity, Nativity. Our, Advent our Advent series. Um, today, today, it's uh, it's uh, it's a kind of a week, kind of a week shorter than shorter we normally than do set four Sundays and Christmas and Eve. We're doing uh, we're doing uh, four messages, four including, four messages Christmas including Christmas Eve. But uh, but uh, what we're doing, what we're doing uh, we call this message. Uh, call do this you message, see do you what see I see? What I see. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? And uh, and. Uh, we're looking over the next four messages, looking at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark, Luke, and, John. And, uh, and just, and, uh, and just uh, kind, of a, uh, kind of a high level view, high level of, view um, of each of the Gospels of and the how, they how they look at, how they communicate the coming of our Savior into our Savior into Each of them have a little bit of a different perspective, perspective on what it means that Jesus came. That Jesus came. Right? So right. it's so it's kind of like kind this. Of like this. If, uh, if if there uh, was if there was an accident, an accident that happened that happened. Like my my amazing like my, my amazing <laughs> graphic design. Graphic Isn't design. Awesome? Isn't it awesome? There was an accident was that an happened accident at an intersection. At an intersection. And there was a person, was a on, person each corner on each corner of the intersection, of the intersection that, that saw the accident happen. They would each describe the same true event. They would each talk about how, you know, what happened and how it happened. And so but they would each view it from a slightly different angle. They would each, you know, one person might say, well, this car was coming from the right. Coming from the right, the person on the opposite corner would say, corner "No, they were coming say, from the left." They were coming from the left. Right? They would have a slightly have different, slightly different view, of what view of what was happening and how it happened. How but, it happened but they would all be describing all the, be same, describing the same, same event. The same event. And what we have in Matthew and John are four different perspectives. There's, they're not contradictory. They're not. They're, they're not in, they're not um, in, um, you know, at odds with one another, but they each but are they telling the story of the coming of Jesus from a different perspective. For example, for Matthew, Matthew writes, writes um, you know, um, we, we can tell, we, we can tell, knowing some of the language that the he language uses, that, that Matthew was writing specifically from a Hebrew perspective, as a Jewish person, a Jewish he's writing from a Hebrew perspective, and he uses a lot of Jewish, Hebrew terminology and phrases, and his primary target audience are Hebrew people, Jewish people of his day. Of his day. Um, convincing um, them that Jesus is Jesus the is Jewish Messiah, the, Jewish the one that Messiah, the Jewish the people have been waiting for for centuries. Right? Mark is Mark writing, is we can tell from the language, from the terminology, the things he talks about, even the, the, even the, the way that Mark way that counts Mark time. Counts we time. know that Mark is writing Mark is from a from Roman perspective. Roman He's writing perspective. to He's Romans, to people, of the Roman Empire. people of the Roman Empire. And, and he uses and language that was commonly, that was commonly used by by people who were Romans. People who were Romans. Luke is Luke is written is written from the perspective, the perspective of, 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 of a Greek. Of a, a Luke Greek. is Luke is a Luke Greek is, person. A Greek he writes person. to Greeks. He writes to Greeks. He writes, he writes um, primarily to, to Gentiles, to, to Gentiles. non-Jews, non-Jews, um, Greek speaking um, people of, of the day, of, of the day. Explaining, explaining who this Messiah this is because they don't have a they don't have a Old Testament frame of reference, and so he has to bring people on to help him understand. And then you've got John, who wrote much later than all the other gospel writers, and he's writing. 
They each have themes. They, they each have, have themes, focuses that they look at. And so, so we are going to walk through some of this. Obviously, we're pretty limited in time and, and how deep we can go with it. But, but I want us to look at some of the differences. We, uh, um, I'm using these four words uh, for us, and they're not exactly in order, uh, as you see. But Prince, Popper, Servant, Son. Son. These are these are four these words we're going to use to talk about to the perspective of each of these each of writers and writers and and who they want us to know Jesus is. All right, so let's dive in so let's dive to Matthew's in. Gospel, this morning. gospel this morning, and uh, and we want and to look at how does first of all how does Matthew treat Matthew the story of the nativity, the story of Jesus, story of how does he treat this story, this story, and uh, we're going to look at some of the unique aspects that are specific to Matthew as he unfolds this amazing story. Of Jesus who was born to be our Savior. Right? And so, so Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. Now, I don't know why his publisher didn't say, Matthew, maybe that's not the best way to capture people's attention. Right? You might want to you might want to start with a really you know you know something blown up or something really exciting happening first and then you know get to the genealogy later. But he starts with this genealogy. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back to the genealogy a little later uh, and talk about its importance. Um, but that's how Matthew starts the gospel. Here's Jesus was you know this person. This person gave birth to this person, this person, this person, and goes through a, a genealogy all the way down to Jesus. Um, then in chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew writes this, and he says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, this word is a really important word for Matthew, for Matthew, the Messiah, the Messiah. In, in some of your translations, it will say the Christ, the Christ, because because Messiah, Messiah, Mashiach is the same. It means anointed one in Hebrew, and Christos, Christ, means anointed one in Greek. In Greek. This word is a really, really important word because when when you see when you see you know some of us might have you know when we were kids growing up hearing you know maybe going to church and hearing people talking about Jesus Christ maybe you thought Christ was his last name right right but Christ but Christ Messiah is a title Messiah is a title and it means anointed one it means one who is anointed to be king whenever you see Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah in the scriptures. In the scriptures. Think Jesus the King. Jesus the King. Right? Right? And it's very this this word is very important to Matthew because Matthew is presenting us Jesus as King. King. Above all things, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is King. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Matthew writes, His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Uh-oh. You know, in our in our culture today, that's culture today, that's it's not as big a deal as it was even 20, 30 years ago. Thirty years ago, but in in this day, where Matthew was writing, it was a big, it was a big, big deal. Big deal. She was found to be pregnant before they came together. Together through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Matthew says. Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, uh, Jesus, Matthew is saying, came into into being, came, became uh, a human, became was a was a baby in the womb of this young lady Mary, 
um, not through anything that Joseph did, not through anything that any man did, but this was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Goes on to say, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he wanted to be honoring to God and the laws of God, but he, he was a kind man and didn't want to destroy Mary's life, right? He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You might say, well, that's not, that's not very nice, right? But in Joseph's mind, in this moment, he has no other choice. This is what he has to do. For the sake of his family, for the sake of Mary, for the sake of everybody, no one can know that Mary's pregnant before they were together, before they were married, right? And, and so from Joseph's mindset in that culture, the, the best thing, the most honorable thing, the most kind thing that he can do is quietly divorce Mary. But after he had considered this, says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves. Now, um, Mary got a heads up on this. Before the miracle of her conception happened, she got a visit from an angel and said, this is what's going to happen. And Mary was given an opportunity to say, yes, right? To, to, to sign on to God's plan. Poor Joseph. Had no clue, right? He didn't get, he didn't get brought into the, the uh, you know, the inner circle, into what's going on until after the fact. And so Joseph, all he knows is my fiance is pregnant. And, and Mary you know, gives him an explanation and he doesn't believe it because why would you, right? It sounds pretty, pretty preposterous sounding. I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It points to the reality that this is something that had never happened before and has never happened since. This is a unique event in all of human history that God came in the power of the Holy Spirit and caused Mary to be pregnant. Right? But you know what? I think it's an amazing and speaks to who God is that he sent an angel to speak with Joseph. God doesn't owe it to anyone to explain himself, right? He doesn't owe it to anyone to explain himself. But because of his love and compassion, God chooses to meet us where we are. Joseph was struggling with his faith in God, his faith in Mary, his understanding of the world had been turned upside down. What is going on? And... and um, and God comes to Joseph in the midst of his struggles of faith and speaks to him. Think of Thomas. Remember he was out at the store when the rest of the apostles met the resurrected Christ. And Thomas comes back and everybody's like, you missed it. Jesus was here. He's alive. And Thomas says, get out of here. 
right? I don't believe that. If I don't see it, I don't believe it. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't come to Thomas and, and scold him. He doesn't come to Thomas and tell him, you know, you need to get your act together, man. Like, what's your problem? How come you didn't believe these guys? But he comes to Thomas and meets him in his doubt and meets him where he is. And Thomas has an encounter with Jesus in that moment that causes him to fall on his knees and worship the resurrected Christ. And he, Jesus didn't even answer all of Thomas's questions, but he gave him an encounter that changed his life. I believe that's the same thing that God is doing here for Joseph, who's who's got all these questions of what's going on and I don't understand who God is anymore. I don't understand who Mary is anymore. I don't understand my path forward. And God comes to him with an encounter that immediately changes his perspective and, and immediately he's on board with God's plan. All right, God, I, I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. I don't know how. I don't know why. But I know who, and that is enough. Right? I want to encourage you today that all of us go through times when we struggle in our journey. We struggle in our faith. We struggle to understand what's going on around us. Struggle, struggle to go understand what's going on in us and in our relationship with God. And, and in those moments, God's not seeing you as, as unfaithful or unworthy. He sees you with compassion. He's a God who loves to come and meet us where we are. And if you'll lean into him, say, God, I don't understand this. Just be honest with him. Just be open with him. And he will give you an encounter that will draw you in. And you may not have all your answers. You may never have all your answers, but you'll know that you can trust him. Joseph receives this amazing prophetic um, revelation that his son would be the one who would save his people from their sins. Wow. Wow. And then Matthew adds this revelation. He, he puts a little um, narrator's commentary in here. And he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew's telling us that this, this one, this baby, this, this one that would be born, that Joseph was to expect, was not just a cute baby, not just a special baby, not even just a royal baby because he's from a royal house, but he is God among us. And then, then Matthew goes on to tell us a story that none of the other Gospels tell us. A story of the Magi from the East. We call them the wise men. Or we three kings. They, they weren't likely kings. They were, they were literally Magi is, is, the, is the name. They were wise men. They were... Um, teachers and, and uh, spiritual wise men from the east, probably from Persia. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was a terrible man. He's a tyrant. He had two of his own sons killed because he was suspicious that they wanted his throne. He's an evil man. And when Herod got disturbed, things got messy. Right? Where, um, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? And in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, and they quote a, a prophecy. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that after I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Then they saw the star. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Kind of a strange story. These magi coming from Persia. They were probably priests of the Zoroastrian, Zoroastrian religion. It's a religion that uh, still is there today, still functions today, and, and goes back hundreds of years before Christ to a teacher named Zarathustra. He lived possibly, historians aren't exactly sure, but possibly he lived around the time of Daniel. It's interesting that it may very well have been Daniel's influence in the Persian, as, as Daniel served as a, as a, uh, a, a wise man, served as a, as a, a godly magi to the, to the kings in Persia. Um, and we see that in the book of Daniel. And it's very possible that his influence was responsible for the magi watching the skies for the signs of the Messiah that would come. Matthew's focus on these magi is not just telling an interesting, quirky story. But if his gospel was the first gospel that was written, which we think it probably was, and it was written to a primarily Jewish audience, then this story is a bold statement that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for all peoples. That God, that God would have planted prophetic seeds of the gospel hundreds of years before in a far-off country, in a, in, a, in a totally different culture. Planted the seeds of the gospel so that, so that when the time came, Non-Jewish wise men would come seeking Jesus, recognizing him not just as a king, but as a God. They come and they worship him. They bow down. They worship him. Matthew is telling us that the gospel is not some exclusive message for a narrow ethnic group of people, but it is the gospel is a universal message for the world. And then Matthew, as he, as he goes on to tell the story of Jesus' birth and the things that, that unfolded, he speaks of how Herod sends soldiers to Bethlehem. This was all foretold in 
in prophecies as well. That Herod sends soldiers to Bethlehem and has all the children two years of age killed so that he can hopefully wipe out this uprising king. And in doing so, Joseph, uh, 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 an angel comes to Joseph and tells him to get out of town, to take Mary, to take the baby, and to go to Egypt. And they go and they, they hide in Egypt for a while until, until Herod dies. And so Jesus, we see him and his family Again, as, as, a, um, as a message to the world of the love of God. A message even to those who are displaced and, and, and oppressed. That God has come to change things. Amen? So who does Matthew tell us that Jesus is? As Matthew lays out the birth and the life and the story of Jesus in his gospel, who does Matthew tell us Jesus is? Well, the, the very first verse of his gospel says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is, the, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Remember that word is so important. The son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham is important because Matthew wants everyone to know that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The, the, the answer to the promises that were made to Abraham almost 2,000 years before. The promise to Abraham that your family will be a blessing to the whole world. The salvation will come through your family to the whole world. Right? That Jesus is the son of Abraham. And so, so Matthew goes and he starts the genealogy from Abraham. And he goes... He tells us of 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile of Israel into Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to the birth of Jesus. And, and we follow this, this uh, line of Jesus from Abraham right to his birth. Now, some of you might say, come on. I barely know who my great-grandfather is. How do they know 42 generations of Jesus' family? But in reality, in that culture, again, the, the, their, their line, their pedigree, their, who they came from was one of the most important defining features of, of, their, of knowing their identity. And, and the parents would regularly recite there, the, every Jew wanted to be able to trace their lineage back to Abraham. To know that I'm a son of Abraham, I'm a daughter of Abraham. And so they would, they would recite their lineage on a regular basis, and every Jewish person would be able to recite their lineage to know who's, you know, how far back their family went. So Matthew is is saying that, that Jesus was a, a son of Abraham and he was a son of David. That's really significant. Because who was David? David was the, he was the, the most well-known, the most famous king in Israel's history, right? He was, he was kind of a... Uh, you know, a cultural phenomenon that, that uh, every, every king 
If you, if you read the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles, every king that came after David was compared to David. Was he a good king like David or was he not a good king like David? Right? And, um, uh, and so, so not, only, not only was David an important king, a well-known king, uh, but God had given David a promise. When he became king, God gave David a promise and said, there will always be a king from your line that will sit on the throne forever. And when he made that promise to David, he was, he was talking about the son of David who would come and sit on that throne as the great king, Jesus the Messiah. It was a prophecy about Jesus who would come. And so, so everyone in, in Israel was awaiting this son of David, this one who would come from the line of David and that would sit on the throne. They thought that this one would rise up and kick the Italians out of Palestine, right? And, and set up a kingdom right then and right there. And, and there would be this renewal of the, of the Jewish kingdom. They didn't realize that God had something so much bigger in mind, right? That the king would come, he would die for us, rise again, and that one day he would, his kingdom would change the world. So above all, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the Jewish king and Messiah, but that he's a king for all humanity. And uh, when, when Matthew quotes Peter's confession in Matthew 16, verse 16, I think that clinches it for us. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And they give him a bunch of you know, well, they, they say you're this and you're that. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter pipes up and says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who Matthew wants us to know Jesus is. And why, why does... Matthew, why has Jesus come? Matthew wants us to know some very specific reasons why Jesus has come. Why from, from Matthew's corner, right, observing the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, from Matthew's corner, why has Jesus come? Well, he came to fulfill prophecy. Matthew weaves into his gospel over 60 Old Testament quotes and references. Matthew's gospel is, is woven with, with Old Testament prophecies. He wants us to know that Jesus came as, the, as God's answer to the human problem that was decided before time began. And was promised throughout history. And now Jesus the promised one has come. Right? He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the answer of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to us. His promise of justice for those who have been wronged. And those who have been trampled and crushed by evil. His promises of peace of hope, of rescue from the slavery of sin. Of the overthrow of death. God's promise of a true and good and noble king that we can lead that can lead us. And his promise that God himself would come near that Jesus would be the Emmanuel, the God with us, the God among us. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Secondly, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus came to inaugurate, to begin God's kingdom on earth. The word kingdom is a really important word in Matthew's gospel. We find the word kingdom 52 times in 28 chapters of Matthew. 52 times, 28 chapters. He, it's all about God's kingdom. And, and actually, Matthew's unique phrase for God's kingdom, he calls it over and over, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. He understood that the atmosphere of God's presence, the atmosphere of God's rule and authority and glory had begun to break into this world by the birth of Jesus. When Jesus was born into this world as the Emmanuel, God's kingdom began to break into our world. And on more than one occasion, Matthew speaks of God's kingdom authority being given to God's people. Speaks to the, the apostles right after Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I'm going to give you kingdom authority. Before Jesus left the earth, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And he sent them out as ambassadors with authority to represent the one who has all authority. Amen? That Matthew wants us to know that we are carriers of the kingdom of God, carriers of the authority of God in this world to see that the, the things of God happen around us. Jesus' message was the message of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, 17, when Jesus begins his preaching ministry, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, quote, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? That was, that was the message of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is here now. Things have changed. Turn back to God. Jesus' teaching throughout Matthew's gospel is about the kingdom. Just in chapter 13, Matthew gives eight parables. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus came to establish a new covenant with people on earth. In chapter 5 to 7 of Matthew, we have this thing that we call the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew, or Matthew wants us to see Jesus going up on a mountain and declaring from God what life in the new kingdom looks like. Matthew wants us to see that this is the new Moses. The Moses of the new covenant. That Jesus went up on the mountain and comes down saying, here's what life in this kingdom is like. And gives us the new law, the law of love, right? Jesus came to establish a new covenant of love. In, in his manifesto, in, in Jesus' declaration in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives a manifesto for a revolution of love. What does it look like what does love look like in a sin-sick world? 
right? In a world that's broken and messed up because of sin, what does love look like? And Jesus shows us in his Sermon on the Mount. And lastly, I think Matthew wants us to see that Jesus came to bring sinners and Gentiles, all of us, into God's family. Jesus came with a message for the world. Everything is about to change. The kingdom of heaven has come. There is hope. There is life. There is peace. There is joy. You can have all of those things by becoming a part of the movement of Jesus. Jesus came to bring the world into God's family. Let's stand. a couple takeaways from today for us. Jesus Jesus is king and savior and God with us. He is king and savior and God with us. So thankful that God has, has come in the person of Christ to be among us, to be with us, to be one of us. Secondly, we are called to live in the kingdom of heaven and to spread its influence everywhere we go. God has made you to be world changers, to carry the influence of the kingdom of heaven wherever we go. When you have conversation with someone, encourage them, speak life and hope to them. You're bringing the kingdom of heaven, the authority of heaven into that situation. God cares for each one of us. Just like Joseph, right? Just confused, brokenhearted, frustrated, didn't know who he could trust, didn't know what to believe about God. God cares for each one of us and meets us where we are with his redeeming love. And lastly, the good news, the gospel is for everyone and is to be declared everywhere. him right now as our king. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Lord, we worship you today. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you came in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, that you came to change everything. came to break the power of sin and death. You came to bring hope and life into this world. You came that we might be truly free. We give you thanks, Jesus, for your love and your faithfulness. With Matthew today, we want to lift up our hearts in worship and honor 
King Jesus. God, you are on the throne. No matter what circumstances we're walking through, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, God, you are on the throne. God, we think of Joseph who thought the worst thing that could ever happen had happened in his life and he was ruined. And yet it turned out to be the most amazing thing that has ever happened in history. Because God, you were at work. We can trust you with everything. And we do that today. Come and meet us where we are, God that we would find hope and freedom and peace from you, in Jesus' name. Amen. What an encouraging message to start our Christmas season off with. I'm going to ask those that are part of the Breakthrough team if you would uh, come to the front if uh, if we can, if our team can pray for you in, in any way, uh, we'd love to have that opportunity to pray for you this morning. Uh, it doesn't have to be a direct response to what Pastor Andrew uh, spoke about this morning. We just like the opportunity to minister to you this morning. Um, so uh, if, if there's anything at all, feel free to come to the front. I want to remind you that there is prayer here at 6 p.m., and so I encourage you to uh, set aside some time uh, this evening for that, to uh, pray for our church, to pray for our community. So many powerful things have happened in history and continue to happen now in the life of our church and other churches because of the power of prayer. So if you're able to, I encourage you to come out this evening. Feel free to slip out if you need to. Feel free to stay and linger and worship with the team uh, if, if you desire to. Uh, let's not be in a rush this morning. Unforgiven because you were forsaken. 